when you're in a real estate deal and there's a lot of moving parts and you're managing two deals like this and it's all new, it really was the team player. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? Do you need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available? Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? You're a loyal best ever listener. The founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times. And they have been a previous sponsor. And they love working with the best ever listeners. And they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into that fluffy stuff with us today. John Carney, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me back on your show. Oh, my pleasure. And best ever listeners, John is a returning guest, so you can go search his name at bestevershow.com and you'll hear his episode where he gave his best ever advice. So because today is Sunday, we got a special segment called Skill Set Sunday where we're going to talk about a specific skill. That way, by the end of the conversation, best ever listeners, you will be able to implement the skill or perhaps add it and hone the current skill that you have, and that is how to build the right team. John has gone from a $5 million project to a $23 million project, and his team building along the way has gotten him to that point. A little bit more about John. He is a real estate entrepreneur, author, and speaker. He founded America Property Source in Melbourne, Australia to enable Aussie investors to grow U.S. real estate portfolios. He wrote the book, Real Estate is a Team Sport, The Nine Players You Need to Profit. So clearly there's a theme here. And now he's based in Cleveland, Ohio, and he's a host of Real Estate Locker Room. So before we dive into building the team, John, or maybe you can naturally segue it because I know you're a smooth operator. You want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. That was a great segue into it. So I was living in Melbourne is how they would say it. You, we <laughs> Did I mispronounce it? How do they say it? Is it Melbourne? Is it, well, they say Melbourne. Like Melbourne, huh? Thrown okay. it in the bin. But anyways, I might start speaking in Australian and <laughs> I have to correct myself when I get into real estate vocabulary. But anyways, it's a love story. A lady brought me over to Australia in 2009 due to the economics differences between Australia and America at that time, strong currency, high property. I saw an opportunity to put what I'd learned in my real estate investing career to date to use. And I started enabling Australian property investors to invest in the United States and increase their cash flow. And, and it was all about safety and minimizing risk. What I learned from that really briefly was that you have to have the right team. We put a lot of time and effort into making sure we had the best operators possible for every step along the way. And I also learned that just because we provide someone with a great team and a great property and a good location, it comes down to operation. And so real estate investors really do have to build the relationships with their team players and keep those active and be an active participant 
in your investments, whether it's one single family home or or a hundred. It doesn't matter. Each one's a business and we really promote having investors understand that the team comes first and the property comes second. Okay. I like it. So let's talk about how you've built the team so that the best ever listeners can implement some of the tactics that you've implemented in your business. And I mentioned earlier, $5 million to $23 million project. Let's talk about that. Maybe talking about what those projects are and how you've scaled your team. That way we're using a real example. Sure. So when I was in Australia, I was out on my own. I met some people. I had my wife's network and built a small business team. But my long-term goal was always to be in real estate and development. And I tapped into those relationships three or four years down the line and asked for help. I wanted to be a property developer. And I started with something small and manageable, which was taking a finding a lot that we could subdivide and build two new houses down. So the key players on that team were my business partner and my mentor in Australia, so to speak, Brad, who was a large-scale developer in Melbourne. He had a finance company. He had a real estate company. He was a great operator and I learned a lot. The other component was having a builder. We brought a builder into the partnership, a custom home builder that could design, build, and manage these projects. And what was your role? My role was the developer. I was the person that put this together. I found the sites. I negotiated the purchase and sourced the team with the help of the builder. We vetted, like, for example, who was going to sell, what company was going to sell the property. So basically, you know, you, you shared a role with your mentor who was the large scale developer. I'd like to look at it. He was a sounding board that if Mm -hmm. I had a question and before I made a decision that would impact this partnership. If I had a question, he was on hand to answer that, give me guidance. So at the end of the day, it was running that from the accountants, the contracts, the lawyers. I did pretty much everything. Had you done any development previously? Not on my own, no. And w- okay, not on your own. And what did you develop in this example? We found a vacant lot and we subdivided that and built two single family homes. So the gross sale price was about 1.1 million on this deal. And we got out with an acceptable margin. But right after we had made a deal on that lot, we had found another opportunity that that we ended up getting in a bidding war. It was a quarter acre block on a corner and uh, it was a $980,000 acquisition. And that was the project that we ended up selling it for just under $3 million to another developer because I was already in motion to move back to Australia. But had we continued the build out, it would have been close to a $6 million total project. How much did you have to put into it, if anything, to sell it to the other developer for a little under $3 million? We had a lot of money into it Okay, with all all the planning and engineering. You know, if you take a 20% deposit, we probably each had over $100,000 of our own cash in there. So I was using my own cash. I was leveraging assets in the United States on a HELOC and loaning myself money. And obviously, having your own skin in the game makes you pay attention to every penny spent. But you sold it to a developer for a little under $3 million. How much in total did the project have in it when you sold it for a little under $3 million? I don't have that right at the tip, Rough, of, my, right, right at the tip of my tongue. So we didn't really – we got out of this with pocket change. Okay. We got so out of this basically broke change. even. But you we got your money even. back and you broke even. We, okay. we got our money back and we broke even. The okay. reason why 
we decided as a partnership that this needed to be sold. So we did all the development. We did all the subdivision. We did all the engineering. We got the plans approved through council. We had a Mm. shovel-ready site. The reason that we decided to sell that to someone who could just basically come in with our drawings and our plans, pull permits, and build it, so we basically sold it to an engineering company slash mm-hmm. builder slash developer was because I was moving back to the U.S. and I was the driving force behind this partnership. So there was no project manager taking care of the whole big picture with my absence. What did your partner say about you moving back knowing that they've spent all this time on the project, but they're basically breaking even because you have to move back to the United States? Well, we'd exited our first deal together just ahead of the second deal. We were behind on some timeframes. That was true. And then there was, without getting into a long story, I wouldn't say we weren't all getting along, but it would have been, it, <laughs> was, in to every, break up. it was in everybody's best interest <laughs> without the team leader there that yeah. this just wasn't going to fall, fall over. Sense. Nobody lost money. That's the number one key, Mm -hmm. in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And when I say we made pocket change, like that's subjective, Joe. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't what we projected. But when you're in a real estate deal and there's a lot of moving parts and you're managing two deals like this and it's all new, it really was the team player. Take me out of the equation. I got a lot of help from our accountant. We got a Mm -hmm. lot of help from our lawyer. There was a lot of different sounding boards. And at the end of the day, when you've got a difference in personalities and skill sets and expectations in something that's complex like this, when a lot of real money is on the line of your capital is on the line, that was a collective decision. We talked about that well in advance of the move. I was very upfront when the opportunity that was going to bring me back to Cleveland came up. I notified my partners, this is what I was doing. And mm-hmm. it wasn't taken as something that was bad. There's always an opportunity to work with people again in the future and we left that open. Cool. All right. Now, the $5 million to $23 million project, I think you've set the stage perfectly to talk about that now. Sure. The project that my father and his business partners are working on in downtown Cleveland is in Public Square, and it's set in the stage because mm-hmm. three years down the track, we still don't have a contract. So the project that I moved over here for a year ago is still in limbo. But Other opportunities have come and gone. The deal I'm talking about right now is a class A waterfront asset in Cleveland. It's uh, 160 units with an opportunity value add to build out another 29. That's why we're attracted to it. The landmark companies, which is the downtown development and property management company that my father, John Carney, and his partner, Bob Rain, started in the 90s, that's their niche in the market. They develop and manage historic buildings in Cleveland and Indianapolis, and then they manage that. And these are complex. That's what the public square building will eventually turn out to. We're, we're always positive that that's a, that's a different story. So this building came to us in September. We looked at it. It was on the market. And we're working with investment bankers. So they're a big component of the team, which is new to us on the capital stack. But we went through our due diligence and we made our bid and it wasn't accepted just after the new year. So let's go back to January. We're mid-April right now. This building was back on the market and the broker called us because we were in second position. So we made some decisions. We got the team back together, at least the big decision makers back together. And we went back in with a new offer. It was slightly different based on conditions in the financial market at that time. Was it higher? 
Well, interest rates were slightly higher, so we came in a little bit lower. That's the condition I'm talking about. So Mm -hmm. here we are. This was the learning curve for me because this was my first time involved in a project of this size. Is this the 5 million or the 23 million? 23 million. Which one was the 5 million? The ones you described earlier in Australia? Correct. Okay, I'm with you. Cool. Yeah. So now we're over in the States. The project I moved over here for is still not happening, but we're working towards that. And by the way, we're about to take over into year three of working towards a deal on this, right? And we've got this class A asset in the lakefront, just east of downtown Cleveland, and it's ticking a lot of boxes. So just to get from, yeah, we're going to take it. You don't have to go back on the market. Here's our offer to getting to a PSA, right? A purchase and sales agreement. That took the better parts of five weeks. Then we got into our due diligence period and we've had to ask for an extension. So there's a lot of action happening this week because the pointing end of the negotiations is happening today, tomorrow, and decisions have to be made by Friday. So in a perfect world, we'll end up owning this property, but we're prepared to walk away. The important part is the team. So like, can we circle back to that? If you take the numbers out of the equation, I'm working with people who are very familiar with these numbers. And to some degree, they consider these small numbers. So we're learning about different ways of financing with private debt and private equity to cover the gap, stretch investors, you can call it what you want. So basically, I've been a student of this project since September. I have my limited experience that I can bring to the table, but making sure that we have the right team members from the accountants to the lawyers, to the insurance agents, to the property management, to the builders, to the people that are doing the inspection, the needs assessment. It's all a critical part about making good decisions. So there's not one decision being made lightly or that isn't on an email that's copied into every team member. And because we're at the pointing end of this transaction right now, the sink or swim part, there's daily phone calls with multiple team members and everybody's opinion is taken on board. On those daily phone calls, who's on those calls and what are their roles? You mentioned some team members, but I know not all those team members that you mentioned, like insurance agents, et cetera, are on those calls. So who are the main players? We have the representatives from our property management company, which most of the time is my brother who works hand in hand with our director of operations because they know what it will cost us based on current leases to operate this building. Is what they've been doing this for 20 years. They know what it costs to operate this type of asset in this market. So those numbers are fixed. We have our builder who will be doing the new unit build out and who will be fixing up the immediate needs on this building. And there are some, there's some deferred maintenance that wasn't in the budget for the current owner. That's not their business model, by the way. And so we have to make sure that this isn't a class C asset. This isn't something where you can fix things on the cheap. It has to be done right. You've got a 20-year-old roof. It's a brick building. It's a 1920-built building. It's a fortress, but it's got brickwork and deferred tuck point. If it's 1920 building, what about it is Class A? The interior fit-out is Class A. The tenants are Class A. The amenities are Class A. The views are Class A and the price point is class A. (laughs) Back in the day, this is where the cargo ships would bring cars in from Detroit along the Great Lakes. They would pull up here. It was a concrete poured bunker house to receive cars. And it's always neat when you see those photos. I want to say a little less than 20 years ago, it went through a historic renovation. 
And we would potentially represent the third owner since then. So on the daily phone calls, you've got your brother who represents the property management company, the builder who's going to do the building of the new units, the 29 additional units, plus fix up the 160 units with whatever they need. Anyone else on those daily calls? We generally have my father who's running the partnership side of things and his partner who he's worked hand in hand with his whole life. They started out as attorneys together and then they went into real estate development. So 40 year relationship working together, they work well together. It's a good team and a proven team. And they represent the ownership and the majority shareholders in this building. And then we have our investment banker group, the money people, and we're representing two different types of money here. The first three-year loan is a private loan. And then we don't have enough of a down payment to cover their criteria, which I believe is 85%. When this went out to the market, the private money wanted to put more money in. So maybe you can explain that to your audience better than I can. And so we had to come up with a group to fill the debt. And so we have one of the investment bankers is generally working with the, we'll call it the big money lender. And the second is the smaller equity partner. And in the company that we're working with, they also happen to have a real estate division that owns 9,000 doors. So they generally- The are, company that is providing the equity or debt or- No, what? the investment bankers. Right. The investment bankers have 9,000 doors? Yeah, they have a real estate division and their director and his partners structure deals. Right. And they generally buy class C assets where they can make improvements and raise rents. So this is a little bit new to them too, because they're tweaking their models and their capital stacks slightly differently. Mm -hmm. So when you look at my role in this, I'll say I'm a student and I understand who all the team players are, but we're at like I said, this is at the tip of everyone's radar right now. So anyone can be on a call within 30 minutes with a text message or an email. So that is right now the team we're working with. Our in-house property management, and right now we're just trying to make where we are now in the negotiations work. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you talked us through that. Basically, you just outlined the key team members for a $23 million development uh, mix. I don't know what you call it, but it's established property plus development opportunity, I guess, additional development opportunity. And that's something that's useful for everyone to know, especially you, you didn't just outline the people, but you outlined the responsibilities as well. Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? The best ever listeners can find me at my website, which is johncarneyonline.com or shoot an email directly to me at john at johncarneyonline.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and I have a new podcast out, The Real Estate Locker Room Show with John Carney, which is on iTunes and Stitcher. And I'm still learning the podcasting game, but it's a great way to learn more about the craft of being a real estate professional. Some of the takeaways I got from our conversation on the Australia stuff, know when to exit, know when it's time to break up the team that you've established and focus on other opportunities that are of interest. And the Cleveland deal, as you said, it's been a three-year work in progress. We have a 30-minute or so podcast episode and people talk about their experiences. And so frequently it can be assumed that 
it all happened very quickly. But when we actually dig in deep to timelines, you've been working on this one project that we didn't talk about for three years. And it takes time in some cases, especially development deals. But on this other one, the $23 million project, you all put a bid in, it didn't get accepted, and then they come back to you later and you lower the price because of the interest rates. That's what your reason was. But I'm sure there's a little bit more meat on the bone for you all as a result of them coming back to you. And then the team members that you have on these daily calls for the $23 million project, that is 160 units plus the opportunity to build 29 additional ones. That is a representative from the property management company, the builder, your dad and his business partner, and the people who are supplying the debt and the equity, which are the investment banker group and yourself. So thanks so much for being on the show, John. hope you have a best ever weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me, Joe, and I look forward to tuning in and learning more through your podcast too. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.